from. Good morning. Um, okay, so today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 17. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd like to start with a bit of trivia. What is the musical show with the highest revenue of all time? Any guesses? Any guesses? Is it Wicked? Is it Phantom of the Opera? Is it Phantom of the Opera? Is it Hamilton's in town? Is it Hamilton? It's the Lion King. It's the Lion King. This began its run in uh, 1997, and $1.8 billion later, it's still going. It's still going strong. Uh, it's had revenue worldwide as well. This is not just a London, New York City show. Uh, it's had runs in Mexico City, San Paulo, Hamburg, Hamburg, Johannesburg, Tokyo, Taipei, and many, many more cities with the traveling cast that's gone everywhere. What is the story that a worldwide audience wants to hear? Uh, it turns out the one the world wants to hear is The Return of the King. Now, that's the name of a novel by J.R. Tolkien, but it's also 
That's also the plot structure of The Lion King uh, and many other stories as well. What makes The Lion King a great story? What, like at a, at a narrative level, what makes it great? And I think part of what makes it great is the, the tension that's like building up from the, from the beginning through the whole story, building, building, building tension to this final moment when <laughs> used to be a little lion, now he's a mm, strong, he, he comes back to Pride Rock. And, and by that time, the tension is electric. Everything's been building to this moment and this confrontation. The king has arrived as king to claim his right. And that's also the story that is in front of us this morning. All of Jesus' life building to this moment and this confrontation that begins in Holy Week, that begins on Palm Sunday. The king has arrived as king to claim his right. And he's not coming alone. He's leading a procession, a whole lot of people in front of him and behind him, the whole crowd going into the city. Now, even with their really imperfect, flawed knowledge about who Jesus is and what he came to do, even with their imperfect knowledge, they're excited. And if, if you're anywhere in this scene, that's where you want to be. You want to be in the crowd. So for us today as well, for us who have who have the, the end of the story, the beginning of the story, we know, we know what Jesus has come to do in Jerusalem. So for us today, as we read this story, let's join the procession with much more reason and much deeper knowledge of who he is. Two main reasons to join the procession. It's because Jesus is the better king. And second, he's the, the better priest the better king and the better priest. So first, join the procession because Jesus is the better king. We're looking at verses 1 to 11 in this part. So this section's full of details and, and all these details together, they all present Jesus unmistakably as the king. They're deliberate. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. It's Passover time of year. And in Jesus' day, that is when, um, that is when um, Jews from the whole diaspora, from all over, come to Jerusalem. There's one historian estimates that Jerusalem had a regular, um, a regular population around 30,000. And at Passover, it would, it would swell to over 100,000. And, and some estimates even put that at, at 150,000. Imagine. Imagine the crowds coming, coming to this. And Jesus is one man among all the crowds, but no one made an entrance like his entrance. The whole journey to Jerusalem, Jesus comes from Galilee. That's his home region. That's where he's from. Jesus walks everywhere. Galilee to Jerusalem is 150 kilometers. Jesus walked it. He walked everywhere. That's what folks did in those days. So he does not need an animal for the last mile. He's not tired. That's not why. It's not his normal custom to ride an animal. But verse 2, Jesus commandeers an animal because a king of Israel has the right to do that. He can do that. He's going to give it back. 
And Jesus knows the scripture like the back of his hand. He knows that by this action, this action, not his words, his action is going gonna, is gonna to shout louder than words. He claims the prophet Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and that is before you in verse 5. Zechariah was a prophet in Israel. He wrote around the year 500 B.C. At that time, when Zechariah was writing, there was no king in Israel. And for the 500 years after that, all the way down to Jesus' day, there was no king in Israel. But Zechariah clearly writes, and, and through him, God promises a king who is going to meet resistance, he's going to meet opposition, and he's going to take his throne anyway. He's going to take his throne. He's going to cast out the bad leaders. He's going to cleanse the people of God and their worship. That's what he's come to do. That's, that's the king in Zechariah. And at, at this moment on the road with the crowd at like fever pitch, the moment that Jesus sits on that colt, he says, without saying it, he declares without, without shouting it. He says, that's me. That's me. His action says, I'm the king. But do you notice that he, he's a different kind of king? A different kind of king than people would expect. People expected the Messiah to be a general on a, on a war horse with a sword drawn. But there's Jesus. And as the prophecy says, He's riding a donkey. It's not even an average donkey. It's a little donkey. It's a colt. He's the king, but not the king you expected. He's, he's the king on a little donkey. You, can, you picture him with his feet barely off the ground, almost dragging on the ground as he rides into the city of Jerusalem. And his, his red carpet is not red. No, it's not. His, his, his red carpet is is the cloaks of ordinary people, poor folks who have who've come, travelers from Galilee, backwater places. They throw their coats down on the road, and it's, it's a red carpet that's brown and gray. There's no red. There's no purple. There's no, no nice, fine, fine garments on the ground. It's a, and, and waving palm branches. Shouting Hosanna, all, all these things are the trappings of a king, a victorious king entering his city, giving honor to the son of David. Now here's the application of this first point. Join the procession, and that means that you call Jesus your king also. It means that you call him your leader. You give him your honor because he's the better king. Now, why is he better? And I think the key to that is in verse 5. Look there with me. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, humble, and mounted on a donkey. Behind the word humble is the Hebrew word ani in the original text. Ani, it means poor and weak as opposite of rich and powerful. It means lowly. It means even afflicted, humble. That's the kind of king he is. Normally, power is like a magnet. 
Power is, is a, a magnet for wealth and for possessions and for pleasures. And power plus all those things, well, it, it does things to the human heart that receives all of that. We've seen this in our city in our own day as well. It was 2010 to 2014, we had Rob Ford as our mayor in this city. And he came into office with strong rhetoric about um, respect for taxpayers. We're going to stop the gravy train in this city. And I'm just a guy who tells it like it is. You could speak like that. Uh, Well, as as it turns out, as, as it turned out, his vision of fiscal responsibility was shot through with arrogance. His personal life was a mess in very sad ways, his, his family. Um, and he became an international laughing stock. Our mayor did. His brand was grassroots, like a, a, a humble, ordinary guy. But he was not. He was not humble as became clear. So after Rob Ford in 2014, we elected the most straight-laced man that you can imagine. His last name is Tory. Don't embarrass us, John Tory. Run the city, we said. And he took the mayor's office like a, a breath of fresh air in 2014. And last month, we learned that John Tory was having an affair with a member of his staff during the pandemic. While the city was in its hour of need, he was having an affair. He seemed like a humble, responsible leader, but he was not, at least not where it counted the most, not in his character. And when I heard the news, when we all heard the news last month, I was sad. I I was very sad. But we've also... We've also seen this before, haven't we? You give power to a sinful human being, and it does this. He, he's not unique. This is what this happens, doesn't it? It's what happens. Power corrupts the human heart, but not Jesus, not his heart. He's different. Here's why Jesus is a better king. He has all authority, and he will never abuse his office. He will never abuse you. He's a true servant leader. He was born into a poor family, and he never climbed any ladders his life. He never never stepped on anyone. He never sought his interest at the expense of others. It was the total opposite. He sought the interest of others at his expense, at his loss, at his pain. And he sought your, your interest at his expense. He's that kind of leader. His whole ministry, he's got his sights set on Jerusalem. He said it plainly to his disciples many times. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer and be rejected I'm going to be killed, and three days later, I will rise for the forgiveness of sins. He is not the king we would imagine or expect. He is the king that we need 
This passage is inviting you to call Jesus your king also. And you know more than, than, than the crowd on that day. You know about the cross. You know he's, he's that kind of king. He is the servant leader to the point of a shameful and brutal death on the cross for us. All the more reason. We, we have such great reason to give to him our Hosanna as well. Oh, save. Hosanna. Give him your honor. You have many leaders in your life. You have political leaders. You have leaders in work, school, organizations. Um, Grace West, let's be a church that looks to Jesus above all. Above all, we look to him as our leader, the leader who served to the point of death. And let's, let's give him our honor, our ultimate hope. Let's give him our allegiance. Second point, uh, Jesus is the better priest, so join the procession. He's a better priest. In Jesus' day, the priests were the official worship leaders in Israel. Uh, they're the religious professionals. Um, and the most important part of worship was the sacrifice, the animal sacrifice. Now, it was the priest's job to oversee everything that happened in the temple. And along the line, someone, someone at some time had the idea, hey, you know what? We've got all these folks coming during Passover. Let's, let's do this. Let's make animals available in the temple area so that people don't have to bring a goat from like Antioch or whatever that's way far away. They don't have to bring their own pigeons. They don't have to bring their own, their own sacrifice. And that, that seemed like a good idea. That, that makes sense, right? So they started doing that. Along the line, someone had another idea. And someone said, hey, when, when the people are buying their animals, they're using Roman money. We don't like Romans. We don't like their money. We don't like the pictures of the, of the emperor like coming into the temple. Okay, so let's, here's what we'll do. Let's set up stalls in the temple area. And what we'll do is we'll, we, can, we can change people's dirty money into temple money which they can use then to buy the animals and buy the stuff and buy the souvenirs. And we can, hey, listen, listen. We can actually, you know, benefit from this transaction. We've got a revenue stream on our hands. And that seemed like a good idea. So they started doing that too. That seemed like a good idea. And then things were going well, and then later on someone had another idea. Hey, we should... We shouldn't charge, like, market rate for these goats. These are not goats. These are premium goats. These are, like, temple brand goats. And the sheep and the pigeons. Let's be accurate. These, these deserve, like, a premium rate. I think we know about this, too, as well. Like, if you're on King Street and you buy a hot dog and a soda, what is that? What does that cost you? Is it five bucks? Is it six? I don't know. Inflation. Okay. Maybe it's a bit more. Yeah, right. Now, if you go into the Rogers Center and you buy a hot dog. Now, I I actually did this last summer. I I went and I I bought a hot dog. It seemed like a pretty good price, actually. But then I got it 
and it was the size of a french fry in the bun. I'm going to need to eat like five of these to have a meal. If you go to the Rogers Center and you buy a meal, that's what I mean. If you buy a meal and a drink, what's it going to cost you? Premium. Premium. That's what's going on in the temple. This kind of growth went on for generations. And by the time of Jesus' day, the temple, the temple courtyard, which is a huge area, it's, it's bigger than the playing field in the Rogers Center. It's a huge area. It's, it's overrun with animals and with food and with money traders and souvenirs. It's called the Court of the Gentiles. It's supposed to be the place for the Gentiles to come and to draw near to the God of Israel. And it's overrun. And if there's one thing that Jesus hates more than anything else, it is religious hypocrisy. He hates it. He hates it. And of, of all the places in the world, the temple has become ground zero for the most crass materialism. Preying on ordinary people in the temple, authorized by the religious leaders and for their benefit and for their bottom line. Jesus marches into the temple at the start of Passover week with maximum exposure, with the crowds pouring in. And one minute is business as usual. The next, there's tables flipping, and there's the sound of coins scattering on the temple pavement. And there's, there's like pigeons flying away, and there's voices shouting. And at the center of all this commotion is Jesus, driving out those who are selling, driving out those who are buying as well. I've noticed that this, this time. That caught me by surprise. Those who are buying, those who are selling. And with his booming voice, Jesus is saying, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. In Jesus, you see the character of God. This is what God thinks of Israel's religion. This is from the prophet Isaiah. Listen to what the Lord says. Bring no more vain offerings. Your incense is an abomination to me. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. Strong words. Very strong words. Why? Why such, why such passion? It's because when religion becomes a performance, when it becomes a way to get good karma, when it becomes a way to get God off your back or get him on your side, when religion becomes a tool in your hands that you use to seek your own interest, then it becomes an abomination in God's sight. He hates it. You know what the temple is for? It's the next thing Jesus does in verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. That's what the temple is for. Here's what I mean, and here's the application. 
you come to the better priest. You come. Come to Jesus. And you don't bring your, your premium payment that you're going to make. You, no, you bring your weakness. You bring your need. You bring your, your disabled body. You bring your disabled heart. You bring your sins. You bring your need and your empty hands. You bring your need for forgiveness, your need for grace. And Jesus, Jesus, will not prey upon your need. He's different from the chief priests of the temple. He's a better priest. He will receive you graciously, graciously, and he will heal you. He will not seek his interest at your expense. It's the opposite It's the absolute opposite. He seeks your interest at his expense, at his cost, at his, like, premium payment. We know that because Jesus chose to become the sacrifice for your sins. He died on the cross some short days later. He died on the cross with your sins on his head and my sins. He is not the priest that we would expect or imagine. He is the priest that we need. There's another detail in the passage that I I want to mention and draw your attention to. Verse 15. There's kids in the temple. They're like running around. Like after the service here, there's kids running around. They're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. This is so classic. If, if you spend time around kids, then you know that kids have this ability to like absorb the excitement that's happening around them. And, they, and they, that's, that's what's happening. Um, and they don't, they don't really know what's going on, right? They don't, but man, they're excited. They're, they're so excited. Um, now, you know more than the kids. You know more than they did on that day. You know about the cross. You know about what it means that Jesus is the son of David and what he did for you, what he came to do for you. So you too, you give him your Hosanna. Give him your honor. Every church leader, okay, in your life, every religious professional will disappoint you. They're going to forget your name. They're going to let you down. They'll frustrate you. They'll disappoint you. Um, Not Jesus. He will never disappoint you. He will never let you down in what you need. He will never fail. Grace West, let's join the procession. Let's look to him as our king, as our leader. Let's put our... We put our hope in leaders, and that's why it's so painful when they fail us. Let's put our hope, our ultimate, ultimate hope in him as our leader and as our king. Let's look to him as our priest, a better priest. Let's bring to him not our, not our payment. No, bring to him your weakness. Bring to him your need in your empty hands, and let him meet your need. And be to you the perfect priest and sacrifice for our sins 
and hope of salvation and new life everlasting in his kingdom. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the portrait of Jesus that we see in this passage. Um, these things are so surprising. They're so, so different from what we would expect. Um, but Jesus is far, far better than we would expect. Um, help us, Lord, to do this. We, we, we don't want to just try to muster the will to... Um, relate to him a certain way. We pray that your spirit will, will create in us hearts that admire him, hearts that think of him, uh, hearts that, that desire him and hope in him as our, as our king and as our priest. We thank you for sending your own son into the world to do for us everything that we need. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.